0: Alright, Matthew chapter 7, the first half of chapter 6, we spoke about God, um, our relationship with God, and uh, how that relates in worship. And then the second half of chapter 6 really spoke to material things, our relationship to material things. And now this morning we begin chapter 7 of Matthew, and this speaks into our relationship to other people. So the key verse for you and I this morning is found in verse 12. Take a look there. Therefore, therefore, all the stuff we took in from chapter 5 and chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached God Himself. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Another paraphrase translation puts it this way ask yourself what you want people to do for you then grab the initiative and do it for them add up god's law and prophets and this is what you get okay so this is the golden rule this is to govern a believer's relationship with others with others um let me see your bibles i want you to pick them up turn them around let me see the words let me see the words. Whoa. This is awesome. A couple cell phones. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, you know how the world reads chapter 7 of Matthew? I kid you not. Everybody knows the scriptures. Non believers, atheists. Don't judge me, man. Don't tell me about Jesus. Don't you dare judge me. Even Christians within the church, oh, I don't judge (laughs) anyone. I just love on them. Because the Bible says, judge not. I know that. But the only way you're going to come to that conclusion is by doing this to the Scriptures, guys. And we can't do that. Again, we know the importance of context. And as we carry on here in chapter 7, God's going to tell us how to judge and give us context to this. I'm glad no one's done this to their Bible. Otherwise, we would have some counseling. <clears throat> so, let's look at verses 1 to 6 together. Judge not, that you be not judged. So, he's going to speak to us here about careful uh, discrimination. Okay, I want you to get a catch what he says. Verse 2, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank that's in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and they turn and they tear you in pieces. So judging and discriminating. Again, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, krino is the Greek word here for judge. Okay, To be a critic, it means to have a harsh and unjust criticism, to discriminate, to condemn. Judge not. Okay? You guys getting what Jesus is saying here? So Jesus doesn't mean that we are not to form opinions or differentiate or discriminate, but we should not form them rashly or unfairly. This is what Jesus is getting at. So Jesus' followers were not to be characterized by judgmental attitudes. And let me tell you what, the world's looking at Christians as being very judgmental. Where is that coming from? Where is that coming from? Most Christians don't do this. But the few that choose to be rash and harsh, they've really made the church look pretty ugly. Because that's what our loving news people (laughs) put on the news for us. Look at these Christians. Look what they do. Anyways, I wish they'd share more good news. Anyways. Jesus' followers, we shouldn't do this. Um, Certainly, there are some kinds of judgments that are necessary. Consider the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So here, in Matthew, don't judge. And then we're told in another place to judge with righteous judgment. Again, we're looking at the context this morning. We are in a place as believers. We do need to judge. Okay? I ask people questions about what they believe because I believe that Jesus is the truth the way and the life that no one gets to the father except through him. And unless I judge finding out where they stand if they have faith in Christ or not, if I'm not judging, you know, I'm not going to be sharing. And hasn't God asked us to share? Absolutely. Absolutely. Or if people say they're Christian, is it just lip service? Are they just good people in hope of heaven one day, or have they really been born again by the grace of God? Okay, we need to ask those questions, and we do that. We watch people's lives. What do they do? What do they say? How do they live? Okay, and in that, we can judge righteously, is what God's asking. So, we have Jesus, but Jesus here. He warns us against unloving or condemning criticism of another person. So the verse cannot mean that believers should never pass judgment since the ensuing verses inform believers how to judge and what constitutes appropriate and non-hypocritical judgment. So to judge another person in a harsh spirit is going to take the role that's really reserved only for who? For God he is the judge okay so only the Lord can see beyond the outward appearance and really the underlining motives or causes of a person's heart he can see that you can have somebody so jacked up and messed up they're doing this and they're doing that but you know what their heart is right before God they're broken they've humbled themselves And you guys ever struggle with sin? Yeah. But they do it so much worse than I do. My heart must be better. God only really knows the heart. Our our hearts are wicked and deceitful above all things, the scripture says. So be careful, brother and sister. Also, look at verse 2. For with what judgment you will be judged and with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So if someone judges another person harshly, God will judge the judger harshly in return. So don't judge the habits or the weaknesses or the actions of others because we also may have similar or even worse in our shortcomings, in our defects, which we fail to see, but which others may be able to see. Okay? Because I'm pretty great. I got it all together, right? You guys are supposed to be shaking your head more, you guys. Some of you guys that know me well are like, what are you say?" It's one of those things. Sometimes we think we might be great in this way or doing good, but people see the reality of what's really going on. Okay? Um, so, we need to be careful there. So Jesus censors here uh, gossip, criticism, and slander. Of others really all in one big false swoop here, all at once. So we need not to show, um, or we do need to show a lot of mercy. That's he's merciful. We ought to be merciful, right? Which is the opposite of judgment. So, if you guys note, uh, because we need mercy ourselves, right? I mean, that's the point. If we're gonna measure, we you guys get what Jesus is getting at here? This is so important, okay? For you guys who have a critical spirit, this is probably hitting you pretty hard this morning, okay? It's one of those things, I think it's in our nature, but God's given us a new nature. He wants to refine us, our thinking. So, immediately, if you consider Luke's account right before this passage, in Luke 6, 36 and 37, he said, be merciful for your Father in heaven his mercy is merciful. Like, we're to follow his lead, to be like Jesus Now let's look at verses 3 through 5. It talks about these specks and these planks, okay? And why do you look at the speck? Think about a speck for a second. What's a speck? It's a little bitty thing. It's a speck, okay? So look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. So I want you guys to catch this. Don't be a sawdust seeker. (laughs) Have you ever met a Christian like that? Yeah, yeah. Look around. Oh yeah, a little over here. Oh, this whoa, you guys need a lot of help. Oh, you guys are doing all right, you know. They're checking out everybody. We're not to do that, right? You know? Looking at the speck in your brother's eye. What's going on? What's going what's going on, Luke? What's going on? You know? The problem, you see what Jesus is getting at? We can't do that because you gotta really look for something. I'm looking, I'm looking. Luke's a good guy. I like Luke. He's a good I don't know why he's not married yet. He's a good man, right? There's got to be something wrong. I'm going to find out what it is. But <laughs> if I have this stinking log coming out of my eye, you know, hey, let me help you, brother. What's going on? We're going to get you married, you know? <laughs> it ain't going to happen. I'm just playing, brother. I love you. Oh, Single gals. Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> So, you guys get the point. If You got this stinking log coming out of your head. How are you going to be able even to help a brother who's got a speck? Okay, Because I do want to be helped with specks. I think that's part of what church family is for. I think that's part of what we're doing this morning. We're getting into God's word. Why? Because God wants to sanctify us. We're becoming more like Jesus. And let me tell you what, there's a lot of specks in our life. A lot of logs, too. And hopefully we've learned how to humble ourselves to cry out for help that those logs are being done away with. But there's still going to be specks to the day we die. Now, um, here um, we we are splinter spires while blinded by our own beams is what Jesus is saying. So we must not impute motives and pretend to read hearts. We can't do that. So my ophthalmologist is that how they say it? What's the eye, eye doctor's name? You see? There you go. Stuff. Any you guys ever get some sawdust or something in your eye really bad where you had to go in? Yeah, aren't you grateful, Jared, that they care? Like they're gentle. Like it's your eyeball. I can't even tell. I, oh, I used to do contacts. It was like the hardest thing. I just hate touching my eyeball. Now I have children they get stuff in there. and I'm like, oh, I'm so careful. And that's the way the doctors are. They're so gentle. Okay. Um, they, they, they do it with care. So a number of times, you know, I've had sawdust or the worst. You guys ever get that eyelash that just will not come out? And it's like the more you rub it, the worse it actually gets. And you're hurting yourself. Okay. Um, you got to be really gentle. Sometimes it's just best to be left alone, okay? Sometimes that's good for us with our brothers and sisters, okay? We see this thing. Maybe it just needs to be left alone. Nothing needs to be said. I just need to start praying and praying a lot for them, okay? Um, so we're all junior ophthalmologists, okay? I, ophthalmology, us is the Greek word, okay? That's where we get I from. And we must use special care when treating our patients. So do you, here's the question, do you see clearly enough to be able to help someone else? Or is there a beam that needs to be repented of still? That needs to get cut off, removed? So, first do... Your own eye exam before you help others. You guys can jot down Psalm fifty-one, verses ten and thirteen. David crying out. This is after, right after his uh, getting busted for the sin with Bathsheba and having Uriah murdered. He's crying out to God, and he says, "God, create within me a new spirit, okay, and renew a steadfast spirit within me that." He says, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Did you see where David started? (laughs) God, work on me. I got issues. I have problems. My heart is not right. Please renew a right spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. Then I will go and I will share and I will make converts for you. You see how that works? So, Jesus here. And I think this is so important. I'm going to pause just for a second. Discipleship. This is so key. This is what discipleship is. Lord, you've done a work in my life. You've given me a new heart. I've been born again of your Spirit. I'm growing in you. I'm walking with you and he has asked us to come into his mission and being a part of his mission kingdom business is making disciples guys and how are our hearts renewed how do our minds get renewed how are we sanctified is through the word of god guys it is so important that we are discipling people not just getting together for coffee how was your week how was your week great great conversation Let's pray real quick, because I've got to go somewhere else.? Okay, We're spending time together in the word. We need to be do that, doing that. The Van Kooons were up here last week. They're going to be starting pretty soon a study at home in First John. Phenomenal, Phenomenal book. Okay, one of my faves. You guys want to get stirred up? You want to be discipled? Go to the home study. Laura's going to be starting going through Genesis on Monday nights with the gals. You know, gals, go, get into the word. We need to be discipled, guys. And that doesn't happen unless we're doing it. Okay? We need to do it personally, and we also need to allow people into our lives. We need Paul's to speak into our lives, and we also need Timothy's to be pouring into. And that doesn't happen unless you're actually in fellowship, unless you're actually doing it. That's why Sundays are so important. Time in the Word is important. I mean, how often we're so busy in this life do we take time out just to be still, distraction-free, just to sit at Jesus' feet and take in His word. And shame on us, because a lot of us, this is all we get during the week. We should be doing this every day and helping others do the same. Amen? All right, rabbit trail is done. Let's come back here. Verse 5, hypocrite. <laughs> I love it. Jesus would never say that. Was this him preaching? Mm -hmm. Jesus doesn't offend people. Last week I shared with you guys that Jason Gray song. Lena Begonia gave me that uh, disc. I love the Begonias. Sean and Lena, Sonny and I were hanging out at a coca like 12 years ago. And we began sharing with a gal that was sitting right next to us at the table. Sharing the Lord with her. And stuff, and then another gal came up and said, "Jesus would never say those type of things. This is offensive. Jesus never offended anybody because she was she was a little undone with us sharing the gospel with her, sharing that hey, it's only Jesus. He alone is Savior. You have to have faith in Him and Him alone." She didn't like that idea. She didn't like the idea of having to submit and humble herself before God. And we were just telling the truth, if you don't in this life, hell's reality. That's offensive! This other gal literally got out of her table. She's over there, over here in our conversation, coming over here. God never, Jesus never offended anybody. I'm like, what Bible you been reading? He offended everybody! And why does he offend? Because he loves us enough to tell us the truth. Guys, and we need to be okay with offending people. Okay? Not harsh, not mean, but in truth. And when Jesus is saying hypocrite here, it's because he's trying to get people's attention. It's out of love. He's get the big picture, guys. And what does he say here? Okay? He says hypocrite, verse 5, because really, this is Jesus saying there's a no-tolerance policy here. This is it. He speaks to those who pass judgment on the perceived misdeeds of others while ignoring their own sinfulness. That's what he wants us to catch here. And this is why he's being so bold. So even more uh, precisely, the word describes a person who maintains false appearance of religion who appears to be pious or devout, but really isn't. Do you know any people like that? They're out there. They can talk a good game, but you might know them good enough to know what they're really up to. And it's easy to play religion. Our flesh likes religion. Look what I can do. Look how great I am. You see, is it right for the habitual eating habit to judge the one who is a habitual smoking or has a smoking habit. Is it right for a, coffee, uh, a coffee-oholic? Is that a word? If a coffee-oholic would be judging a sugar-oholic, how dare you drink that soda? You know how much sugar's in there, you know? <laughs> well, I'm addicted too. Um, to my coffee. Um, can the... <laughs> I gotta tell you guys real quick. <laughs> I'm a coffee-aholic. Shalom this morning gets up early and stuff. I'm going through uh, my study again. And she crawls up on my lap and stuff. And she's asking me, and she's like, why do you write this all out? And we were talking about Jewish homes and different stuff. And I'm like, dang, girl, your breath is stinky. You need to go brush your teeth. Well, you got coffee breath, Dad. You know? <laughs> and stuff. And it's so easy for us to judge one another. Look at you. Well, look at you. You know? Anyways, Uh, Let's carry on this thought. Can a person with hatred judge the person who's a murderer? Can a person who struggles with lust judge an adulterer? Can a person, uh, let's say, can one who, um, let's say, pulls through a stop sign slowly judge the person who likes to go 95 on the freeway? You guys getting the point here? Okay, good. So, he says here, you will see clearly, meaning you'll have a proper perspective. And then he tells us to remove the speck. When you're able to see clearly, you're able to remove that speck. Okay? And that's where God wants us to be, in that place. So, he argues that for the sake of maintaining community holiness, okay, Members of the kingdom must deal with the issues of sin. If you're abusing your wife, something's going to be said to you. If we see you struggling with habitual sin, I hope that we love each other enough to come alongside each other, that we're in a good place, that we can come along and minister to, okay? To help bear that burden, to pray with you, to speak truth into your life. That's why fellowship discipleship is so important, guys. We need to be able to do this. However, before someone can help others, they must dispense with sin in their own lives first. Their own lives first. Okay. Um, dealt with people who struggled with a lot of addictions, different kind of addictions over the last decade, um, and in that. We ministered to people. uh, When I was in the jail, they would get, you know, let go, free to go, um, and they would join uh, support groups. Okay, some of them Christian support groups, but I didn't really care for the groups, and this is the one reason why: they're hanging around with a whole other people who are struggling with the exact same thing. Some of you brothers struggle with pornography. You have a hard time talking with me. You'd rather sit down with another brother who's also struggling with the same thing. My thinking would be like, hey, I'm going to find a brother who has found victory over lust. And I want to pray with him. I want to be ministered to from him. I don't want to hang around with the same group that just keeps going through the same cycle. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay. And again, I think it's good to have accountability. (laughs) But we need to be in a place, guys, that we're able to minister to other people. And that's why as a family here, we need each other. That's why your personal sanctification and holiness is needed. Does that make sense? We want to go. Hey, brother, you know, you're in a good spot with the Lord. You're walking with Him. You're in tune with the Spirit. You know, I've been tripping up. <laughs> I've been falling on my face. <laughs> Can we get together? Can we pray? And that takes vulnerability too. You know? And instead, I wish people would come to me because sometimes I have to come to a brother or sister and address an issue. Hey, I heard from so and so this is going on. Is it true? What's happening? I wish that brother or sister would come first and just say, hey, I'm struggling. I need to repent. You know? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't have to look at specs at all? The specs would just come and say, hey. This needs to be dealt with. God's worthy of it, guys. We're not going to be perfect, but let me tell you what, we can always be growing. We can always be being sanctified. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So, um, let's talk about dogs and hogs. Not hot dogs, although those sound good. Uh, Verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and they turn and tear you to pieces. This is one of the passages I've had the hardest time struggling with through, through the years. Um, does anyone give pearls to swine? Okay. Oh, we already did hypocrites. There we go. There she is. Besides Miss Piggy. <laughs> Did anybody else think of that when you read this verse? <laughs> I love it. Anyways, uh, so dogs and swine were considered unclean according to uh, the Old Testament dietary requirements. Um, so while followers of Jesus must not be guilty of condemning anyone, we must learn to discriminate um, in our wit- or not to discriminate in our witness. Uh, to do it carefully and rightly. Um, Proverbs. I want you guys to listen carefully. Proverbs nine eight. It says, Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a man or a wise man, and he will love you. Is this verse true? I can say yes and amen to it. It is absolutely true. There's people out of love I'm trying to help speaking truth to them and all they want to do is scoff at it. You know, screw you, dude. I'm out of here. I'm never talking to you together, ever. How dare you? But I've also seen the flip side of it. If you rebuke a wise man, he will love you. You know, I've spoken truth to men where they instantly teared up and embraced me, hugged me. Thank you so much. Thank you for challenging me. Thank you for speaking the truth. You are right. That's a wise man. And are we humble enough to receive counsel? And this is where we're told, do not correct a scoffer. And I struggle with this scripture, guys. You know, where is that line? Well, are they scoffing? Are they dogs? Are they swine? You gotta, <laughs> and then again, we gotta judge to do that. Uh, there's an example I want you guys to look at with me. Let's turn to Luke 23. Um, this is where Jesus wouldn't talk to Herod. And you guys might be like, well, here's the greatest opportunity for Jesus. If you share with King Herod, he could get saved. If he just did a miracle for him to see, maybe he have opportunity, right? Well, let's look at what happens here. In Luke twenty-three, verse eight and nine, Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus. So he's stoked. Hey, this guy I've been hearing so much about, doing these miracles—he's coming. This teacher, Jesus, because he heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus, what? Refuse to answer. What? Really? Are we told in scripture that an evil and adulterous generations seek after signs, wonders? I see that with a lot of new babes in Christ or seekers in Christ. They're looking for the miracle, the excitement, the emotions. They're chasing after those things instead of after Jesus. And here, that's all he wanted. Harry just wanted to see a miracle, see something awesome happen. He wasn't really seeking God. He hated God. He thought he was a God. Let's look at another one with Paul. Let's turn to Acts 13. Paul refused to argue with the Jews um, who were rejecting the message of Jesus, of the gospel. So they went where? Well, we're going to the Gentile world then, right? Look at here with me. In Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Bartimus they spoke out boldly and they declared. So they're out there preaching the gospel. It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to the Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will go offer it to the Gentiles. And aren't you guys thankful? Here we are. <laughs> Gentiles. Far off from God. And as grace has found us, the gospel continues to go into the whole world. So careful discrimination is essential in the Christian life. Are you open? Are you sensitive? Okay? Okay. Um, Are you hungering? Are you able to engage people and discern whether they're in that place of being open, of being sensitive, of being hungry? Or are they just wanting to argue or dialogue or discuss endlessly? When I was doing the chaplaincy, I got a lot of hate mail (laughs) to my office. Why haven't you come to see me? Right, Kim? (laughs) They do that all the time where are you? It's been a whole week. You know? It's just like, well, there's 400 people here to minister to. You know? Leave us alone. Um, but I would choose to spend my time with the guys that wanted to be discipled. They were humble. They were seeking. Because I had the Muslims. I had these guys from different denominations that wanted to sit down just to argue, argue theology. They just wanted to argue. And they have nothing else to do. And some of them just wanted somebody to talk to. Talk, 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 talk. And I'd just be praying for one little opportunity just to have a spiritual something <laughs> inserted into the conversation. There's those people out there, and we've got to be very careful. We've got to discern. Are we going to cast these pearls before a swine? Or not? There's sometimes I have a heart for evangelism. I'm wanting to share with somebody. I engage in a conversation with them and I can tell exactly where their heart is before the Lord and I've actually felt the Holy Spirit just telling me to stop just stop I'm like okay God this is your deal I know you love them but they just want to trample trample the truth of the gospel underfoot you know so um, but again before you judge others judge yourself that's what Jesus is getting at Now, let's get into the part that I'm really excited to share with you guys this morning. We're going to talk about sonship prayer. Look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Verse 9, or what man is there among you? who, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So again, in chapter 6, Jesus said God would care for the physical need of His people. And now we see in chapter 7, jesus is now expressing that god will meet the spiritual need also pretty cool huh because that's the need we all have we love doing the pantry ministry there is a physical need people are hungry they need food great but our prayer and our mission is to meet the spiritual need that people really need because people are going to find food (laughs) what they need is jesus there's that spiritual aspect that a lot of them are blind to. They don't see, they don't understand. But let me tell you what, just loving on them, sharing the physical, we're able to share the spiritual also. So in the Talmud, the rabbi said, only that man's prayers is answered who lifts his hands with his heart in them. So God, my heart's in this, okay? Okay. Now, I love that he lays this out in how we ought to pray, okay? There are three present imperatives. Ask, seek, knock, which press the need for persistence, okay? The NLT nailed it in their translation. It's a continual a- action of the tense. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That's what God wants us to be doing. So don't misunderstand. God is not playing hard to get. That's not what he's doing here. It is to get us to cultivate relationship with him. It is to get us to exercise or develop communicative skills with him. So think of our persistence as uh, really an indication of seriousness. Are we seriously praying, asking, seeking, knocking, in fear? faith or hey i just pray it once god will do whatever he wants to do you know we're gonna have faith we're gonna keep praying do you believe that god has things for your children are you continually praying for them do you believe that god wants to save all people are you praying for your friends for your lost family pray seriously and we have confidence that god will answer so it is petitioning god with an expectant answer attitude. Jesus was not giving some magical formula for self-gratification. I think we should assume that the, uh, the caveats, the stipulations of prayer uh, earlier in this chapter inform the interpretation here of this statement, like <laughs> uh, just a few verses later, okay? This is what he's speaking to. Uh, Max Licato um, said this, Think of prayer less as an activity for God and more as an awareness of God. Isn't that cool? Do you walk with Him throughout the day that you are able to pray without ceasing? God's called us to do that. Pray without ceasing. How do you do that? Well, you're just aware. You walk with Him. You're in this. You're here. (laughs) We talk to Him. I have a need here, God. I'm getting overwhelmed right now. Okay, or you see this need, another bill. How's this going? God, help. So, God wants to turn your mess into a message, your misery into a ministry, your pain into a platform, and your chaos into a crown. But do we ask Him? Ask. That's pretty simple. You guys understand what that means? It doesn't mean beat around the bush for a while. Just ask. Right? Just ask. And it's not trying to bargain with God. God, if you could do this, then I'll do that. You guys ever have those prayers? No. He's a good dad. Just ask. You know? Do our kids have to wheel and deal? You just want to bless them, right? I love you. You know, you don't have to mow the lawn, do the laundry, to have some lunch. <laughs> Anyways, um, so we need to realize, guys, we, and we need to realize this, even when we ask for stones, he doesn't give us one, okay? When he knows we need bread. Man, for the longest time, I really asked a miss. <laughs> really asked a miss on a lot of things. I thought I knew best. I thought this would work out good. And God didn't answer those prayers. And I'm really thankful. Very thankful. He knows what we need, guys. So, our Heavenly Father knows how to give far better than we know how to ask. You guys ever feel that way? You ask about something and God goes over and above. I'm like, really, God? You got to be kidding. You knew. <laughs> this is perfect. And sometimes it's something that's hard but was needed more than anything else. So if we look at verses 9 and 10 together, uh, homes during biblical times, uh, they were either tents, or often they would be woven from uh, hairs of goats. Um, These houses, they were built uh, with rough stones. The houses were loosely built, and there would be large holes or cracks that would be in the walls. Uh, birds and even snakes would come and they would build their home in these ceilings. They'd actually make nests right there consisting of the the brush and the straw. So snakes could be seen crawling around, falling from the rafters, <laughs> uh, dropping on the floor. Wouldn't you love that? Um, then they would come in. Okay, They would come from the fields. They're searching for food. They're looking for food. So when fish would be ba- uh, baked back then, uh, they then would put it into a basket. It often, s- you know, smelled. So of course, it would be, you know, calling these creatures to come. These snakes, insects would come crawling inside. Um, this, you know, from the ceiling or whatever, uh, from outside. Uh, and quite common, the fish were taken out to get a hold of a, a snake uh, which crawled into the basket. They reach in. They're like, oh, there's a snake in here trying to eat. Uh, so when children would cry at night, parents quite often would. Uh, grab a piece of bread out of the basket, you know, to chill out, kid, you know, (laughs) here's something to chew on. Um, Anyways, uh, there weren't lamps there, so they had to be very careful that it wasn't a snake or fish or stone for bread. So those who lived in these tents, they kept their bread by a pile or in a pile of stones uh, around the tents so that one would be uh, is apt to pick up a stone for their bread, which is closely, re, you know, resembles the size and shape of what bread would be. So the reason why I share all of that, what Jesus is sharing here is not that random to the people he was speaking to. That was the point. They would understand, oh, <laughs> we get what you're talking about. We are totally blessed. We live like kings, guys. Um, we don't have, aren't you guys glad you don't have snakes crawling around on your ceilings? Yeah. Um, So, do you hear God's generosity here? That's what he's speaking to. If human parents do this, what about God? Look how generous he is. That's the point he's getting to. We have a good dad. It's in the nature of God to be a giver, right? God so loved the world, he did what? He gave! (laughs) He gave everything. All of himself. So you then being evil, verse 11. Jesus compares sinful humanity with the holiness of God. This is a contrast. So how much more, he tells us. He doesn't tell us how much more. Do you guys read that anywhere? I haven't found it in scriptures yet. It just tells us how much more. I think that's pretty cool too. Because it lets our imagination off the chain. We can run loose We can run free for a while here. So it's when I'm hoping for a biscuit, okay? He's baking up a fresh, cinnamon, you know, pull apart loaf that's gluten free, that tastes as good as Cinnabon in the mall. You know what I'm saying, guys? Oh, you guys are blessed. (laughs) But the point is much more. Do you guys see that there? Much more. Now, I want to get some context before what he just said here. Let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. You guys recall the knocking at midnight from the neighbor? Well, that's the context of the passage here. And Luke fills us in a little bit more. We're going to look at Luke's account in chapter 11, verses 5 to 8. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight? I'm glad none of you are those type of friends. And say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Verse 6, For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, for the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now I've heard this passage taught incorrectly, out of context, often. But I want to go back to this context because it's going to help us understand what Jesus is preaching here on the Sermon on the Mount. But... To paint a picture for you and I here this morning, houses in Israel, especially in those rural areas, they were small, consisting of really one room that would be their sitting room. That's where they ate, their dining room. And that's where they slept at night. Okay? Um, so this, this house had one door, which was left open through uh, the day, but when evening came, they closed it, and then they would put in a, a, a wood uh, bar or something, um, to through the rings of the door to hold it shut, so no intruders could come in at night. Mats then would be laid out where they were spread out and used as beds, uh, which the family in those little room would sleep in a row. Okay, and they had a lot of kids back then, <laughs> all packed in like sardines. There, thus it was difficult. Okay, they didn't have electricity back then. The candle was already blown out. To get up in the middle of the night, okay, walk over your children to go open the door or something. That would be ridiculous, right? Um, so what this doesn't mean, okay? Though we are to be persistent in prayer, it is not the main point here. Because this word persistent, you guys can look it up in the Greek. This is the only time that this word is used anywhere in the New Testament, okay? It means shameless, uh, 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 shamelessness. Okay. Only time that it's used. So the neighbor was ashamed not to help his friend. For he knew that if he violated that social code, he would be a target of abuse throughout the whole village. So God is not being compared to a sleeping neighbor. That's not what this is saying. He is a God that never sleeps, guys. Okay? He is a God whose door is never shut. He is a God who is never put out to help in time of need. Instead, God is being contrasted to this neighbor. He is saying here, if a sleeping neighbor on the basis of friendship and social etiquette will meet the needs of her friend, how much more will your Father in Heaven meet the needs of his own child? That's what he's getting at here. Okay, and this really speaks to the sonship idea that we have this privilege of being his kid to come to him, to ask, to seek, to knock, to pray, right? So, what it does mean, Jesus clearly applies this Jewish rule of contrast, and this is called parabolic contrast. All that the friend was, God is not. And the friend's answer stands in sharp contrast to the answer of God. So God is a loving Father. He's not a grouchy neighbor. Now, after the parabolic contrast, then he gives this parabolic comparison in verse 9. Oh, and really quick before we jump into this. Ask. A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. Easy way to remember, right? Cool. Cool. I just threw down a little Sunday school upstairs. Anyways, (laughs) look at verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, catch this, guys. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Wow! Really? I just need to ask. You guys ever ask for a fresh feeling of the Spirit? He never leaves us or forsakes us god i just need a touch today i got something set before me i don't help because isn't he our help right he's our good counselor he's our comforter we just need to ask we just need to ask and god is there i love it ask so using now the story of this father-child relationship it really it's to illustrate who god is So the first man, this neighbor, would not give, did not want to be troubled, but finally he just gave in to avoid trouble. That's what he did. The second man, father, said to his son, just ask and you'll obtain. Seek and I'll locate. Knock and I'll open the access for you. So this is a story about friendship in verse 5, and then in verse 11 it shifts to sonship. You guys got a good grasp on this now? Does this make sense? Good. So true prayer is not based on friendship with God. It's not, hey buddy, buddy Jesus. You guys ever see that picture? You know? Yeah, he is a friend. But the reality is he's our dad. He's our heavenly father. So the fact that we are his children of God, that's why we get to pray. And we need to ask. Because a father meets the needs of his kids not to avoid shame, but to express love. Isn't that beautiful? So, okay. What does it mean then to ask, seek, knock then? What does that mean? It's not trying to twist God's arm to get what you want. You guys getting this? That's not what he's saying. It means keeping close communion with the Father. It means knowing his will for this is the law and the prophets okay this is what he's saying okay and when we come back then to the golden rule this is what I want to wrap up okay as we pray we get to know him and when we pray according to his will we know he hears us right guys okay so it's a good place to be in close communion you're going to know what he's up to we can pray into this The golden room, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Again, I want to read the paraphrase one, because I really, really liked it. Here is the simple rule of thumb for, uh, or guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets, and this is what you get. Now, now, This is known as the golden rule, right? We all know it is the golden rule because it is a central role of Christian ethics. Pretty simple. Now, this phrase uh, really epitomizes Jesus' ethical teaching and describes how a community of believers should be acting, interacting with one another. This was often quoted back then in the negative it was used by Hillel, Philo, uh, Socrates, Confucius. They all used it in the negative. The golden rule is strictly Christian because it's put into the positive. It does not say, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. So Jesus gave it a positive spin. I love that. So the golden rule... Is not to sum up Christian truth, nor is it to or is it God's plan for redemption? It's the golden rule. Weirsby said this. We should no more build our theology on the golden rule than we should build our astronomy on twinkle twinkle little star. Okay. So this great truth is simply a principle. Catch this. It's just a principle that ought to govern our attitudes towards other. It's kind of like a pocket knife you just pull it out (laughs) when you need something quick ready to use in sudden emergencies when you don't have time to go and ask for advice or read a book okay the golden rule well I don't know what to do in this situation well what would I want them to do to me or do to them you just do that okay pretty simple so that's the first 12 verses here this morning now We haven't partaken in communion and we purposely wanted to wait to the end because I want to kind of go back to where we first started this morning, okay? We need to be able to see clearly. And part of that is we need to examine ourselves. And that's something God asks us to do when we come to his table, doesn't he? Examine yourselves. There might be some logs that need to be dealt with need to be repented of because we come to the table we know that our righteousness is jesus that our holiness is him we are in christ okay because of his sacrifice laying down his life shedding his blood for the remissions of sin but before we come to the table the lord wants us to examine ourselves so what i'd like to do is have a couple of the men pass out the elements but I want you guys to take a moment personally just to be still before God and just examine. Cry out like King David did in Psalm 139 Search me, O God. <laughs> Find if there's any evil way in me. You know, show me. Deal with that this morning. Don't worry about your husband or your wife or who might be here that whatever. This is between you and God.